Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. If I sound funny, I am recording in a bathroom with a small microphone on my phone. And I don't know why I can't get the exhaust fan to turn off in here, but we are making it work. So thank you for your patience. I have been radio silent more or less for the past couple weeks, and I know so many of you have been looking for and waiting for an update on our twins to kind of bring everybody up to speed. On August 2nd, I was admitted to the hospital and uh, gave a couple updates then. Essentially, if we go back even a little bit before then, at the end of June, early July, we found out that the twins had twin to twin transfusion syndrome, which long story short, there are multiple different kinds of twins, not just identical and fraternal, although that is true. Essentially, some twins share a placenta. Other twins have their own placenta. Some twins have their own amniotic sacs and some twins share an amniotic sac and our twins share a placenta, which comes with some unique risks. And one of those risks is twin to twin transfusion. So end of June, early July, we found out that they had twin to twin transfusion syndrome. Um, It progressed to the point where we had to get down to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland, where they do basically surgery on babies in utero. And um, we had the successful surgery at the very beginning of July, I believe. And when we returned to Boston, our doctors were very pleased with how the girls responded to the surgery, which is awesome. So much so that at the end of July, my what ended up, unbeknownst to me, being my last appointment with my OB, they talked about adjusting our scheduled C-section from 36 weeks, which of course is a month early, to 38 weeks because they were doing so well. They were scheduled for a C-section at 36 weeks because of the shared placenta and, and the risks that come along with that. Well, on August 1st, I felt one of the babies moving differently. And I wasn't very concerned because I figured they might have just shifted positions. Baby A, I would always feel her movements like against my cervix and against my bladder, like very low. And I wasn't feeling that as much, but again, she could have shifted. And I was still feeling movement. I just I wasn't very concerned. The other thing I noticed that was kind of weird is on that morning, August 1st, I suddenly felt winded doing nothing. So I was standing at the stove 
making Roman's breakfast and I felt kind of gassed, like winded, uh, short of breath. I didn't worry too much about that either. I figured maybe the girls just changed again, changed their positions. And so there was just more pressure on my lungs because, hey, it's two babies, right? And I remember telling Chris, my husband, that night, if I still feel this way tomorrow, I will call the doctor. Well, the following day, again, very low level of concern. This is August 2nd. Very low level of concern. And for some reason, I called. Normally, I had an appointment just three days later. Normally, I wouldn't have called. I believe that it was completely a God thing because on a scale of one to 10, 10 being super concerned and one being not concerned at all, I was probably like a a two, you know, I mean, just extremely low level of concern. And for me to tell Chris, hey, you have to come home because I'm going to go in and get checked out. It's just very unlike me. So I feel so strongly in hindsight that that was that was a God move. No question about it. So I had Chris come home. I had my mom come over to be there until Chris could get home to stay with Roman. And I drove up to Boston. I first went in to the ultrasound and then was going to see my doctor after the ultrasound. And it felt like a very different vibe. Initially, I thought the ultrasound tech was just really unfriendly because she said very little. And with this type of pregnancy, I've had ultrasounds at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. So you get to know the people and the personalities. And I was like, she's not even... She's not even saying anything. That was strange. But again, I thought it was just her personality. Then the radiologist came in and didn't say much, but did say that my OB would come in. And that had never happened. That's when my spidey senses kind of went on high alert. Why would they send my OB in when I normally just go across the hall and wait and see her in her office? Like, why is she coming here? So I, I texted my husband and I was like, I don't know anything yet, but something's wrong. And when my OB walked in a few minutes later, I could tell by the look on her face that something was wrong. And she said, with great concern, she said, what made you come in today? And I still didn't know it. I knew nothing at that point. And so I kind of just, like I told you all, said, really nothing. I had this slight sense that maybe baby A had moved positions and I felt a little winded. But like, I don't know, I was just being really, really cautious, I suppose. And she said, it's a good thing you came in because baby A is suddenly surrounded by blood clots. And I was like, what? I this was this was a Tuesday. I had had my previous ultrasound just the previous Friday. So it only been a few days since I had an ultrasound. And now all of a sudden they're saying baby A is surrounded by blood clots. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And at that point, they didn't really know. So she said, we're going to admit you. And we're going to keep you here. And we're probably going to keep you here for a long time, as in months until the babies are born. And then at that point, my head is just like going a million miles a minute. Like, uh, I have a one-year-old at home. My husband's two hours away. Like, 
my work. I'm not prepared to be in the hospital for months. So I was a little panicked and I texted Chris that he needed to come up to the hospital. And I went back to triage in labor and delivery and they started me on um, steroid injections for the girl's lungs just in case they were to be delivered. Now, as of August 2nd, I was 26 weeks pregnant. So for those of you that aren't familiar, a pregnancy is usually 46, uh, 40 weeks, 40, zero, 40 zero weeks. And um, so at 26 weeks, I wasn't even in the third trimester. Very, very, very early. And I'm losing my mind. So to not draw this out forever and ever, what I learned that night as I got admitted was that there, they were suspecting a placental abruption where the placenta basically starts to pull away from the uterus and that sometimes women experience bleeding, vaginal bleeding when that happens, but it looked like I wasn't experiencing, I had no bleeding, uh, I had no cramping. And it looked like instead of coming out vaginally, sorry if this is TMI, this is your cue to stop listening, it just surrounded baby A. And I asked, you know, how did this happen? Like, I, you know, I didn't fall. There was no injury. There was nothing like that. And what my OB and the team of OBs in Boston at a really fantastic hospital explained to me is that when we had that surgery, which was necessary to save the girls' lives in early July, the trauma to the uterus from the surgery, because the uterus doesn't want to be screwed with, you know, like that's not, that's not how it's supposed to go. Um, can take time to manifest. So it had been four weeks or so, and the my uterus just didn't like it. And that was the reason for the placental abruption. They said, sometimes you see the placental abruption and you can still uh, remain pregnant for weeks or months. Sometimes it's it's chronic, it's slow, and it doesn't progress further. So at that point, that's what we were really hoping for. And we were talking about how we were going to make it work so that I could see Roman every once in a while and have an extended stay in the hospital. The following day, I was actually kind of a, in hindsight, funny but terrifying story. So my my nurse, who was amazing, stepped out to have lunch and I was being constantly monitored. So another nurse came in uh, to keep an eye on the baby's monitors. And when she came in, this was not my regular nurse, just somebody filling in for my nurse who was going to lunch. She comes in and she says, I have to tell you, I follow you on Instagram. I am, you know, I listen to your podcast. You've changed my sister's life. And, you know, here I am like unshowered, having been crying my eyes out for hours, (laughs) just hadn't slept, hadn't eaten because they thought if there's a chance of delivery, they didn't want me to eat anything. So all of these different factors going on. I'm scared. She's telling me this. I'm like, awesome. Great. Perfect time to like... (laughs) present yourself to somebody who's never met you before. And as she's telling me this, I feel, again, if you don't want details or any of this information, stop listening right now. She's telling me this, and all of a sudden, I feel like a gush of fluid um, from, like, you know, my vagina. 
and I reached down thinking like, did my water break or am I bleeding? And I was bleeding. And it was a sensation unlike anything I have ever experienced before. But I lost a tremendous amount of blood in a short period of time. And uh, again, nothing I have ever experienced could prepare me for it. So I said to this poor nurse, I, I immediately went into a panic and I said, I, I need you to get help right now. I need you to get help right now. I'm bleeding. And she did. And she was lovely about it. And I didn't see her again. Um, and I just felt bad about it in hindsight that it went down like that. But the doctors all came in pretty quickly and we weren't sure if I was bleeding internally or if the blood that was around baby A uh, was just now like leaving my body. And I was shaking, like I was trembling pretty intensely. And I remember saying to the doctors, am I shaking because I'm losing so much blood and I'm going to die? Or am I shaking because I'm scared? I just didn't know. And um, I, Chris, of course, at this point was a couple hours away. So I'm thinking to myself, like, if we're going to end up in the OR delivering these babies, I want my husband here. So again, while all of this is happening, I'm texting Chris saying, like, you need to be here now, uh, knowing that that meant he was a couple hours away, just with traffic. It normally doesn't take two hours, but it's summertime when we live on the Cape, it takes every bit of two hours, oftentimes more. What they determined was that both babies' water broke and I lost a lot of blood in the meantime, uh, some of which was the blood that had been around baby A um, and some of it was other blood. And um, even then they thought, so when you're that premature, at that point only 26 weeks and a day or two, you can maintain the pregnancy even if the baby's waters break. I had always been told in my previous pregnancies, once your water breaks, the clock is ticking because of risk of infection. But when you're that premature, they don't want to deliver you. And so they'll monitor very closely for infection, but you can remain pregnant for days, weeks, and sometimes even months after your water has broken. The babies continue to make water, if you will, through their own urination. So while it doesn't stay surrounding them, they're not just like all of a sudden bone dry. You'll just continue to leak fluid until you deliver. So at that point, we were really hopeful that we could avoid infection and avoid going into active labor and stay pregnant for as long as possible. And I was really shooting for 28 weeks. Um, and the doctors were just saying to me, take it hour by hour. I mean, of course, we'd love to get to 28 weeks. We'd love to get to 30. We'd love to get to 32 or 34 or 36. Uh, but at that point, it was hour by hour. So I was on fetal monitors most of the time, 24 hours a day, which is not pleasant because you can't move because uh, when you do, I mean, you certainly can get up and go to the bathroom, but then you have to reset the monitors and blah, blah, blah. So super unpleasant. And I also at this time wanted Chris home with Roman more than I wanted Chris with me for the normalcy for him. So I'm hanging out by myself, just getting poked and prodded a bazillion times a day and storming heaven that we would make it to at least 28 weeks. 
we did not make it to 28 weeks. We made it to exactly 27. And on the morning of the day that we reached 27 weeks gestation, which was August 8th, the doctors were rounding and they came in and I knew my OB came in with them and um, just because she's amazing. And I could tell by the look on her face that, you know, they were about to deliver something I didn't want to hear <laughs> and also deliver my twins. And they said, um, so when, when your water breaks, the babies are no longer protected. There's no longer like something separating them from the outside world. And so that's why the risk of infection is so high. And my white count, my white blood cell count was going up. I had had a fever the night before. And they said, listen, right now the babies look like they're doing okay. Um, and that could change if you are going down the path towards infection, which it looks like you are based on your temperature and your white blood count, we need to deliver them today. And I said, do I have time for my husband to get here? And they said, how long will it take? I said, he can be here in a couple hours. And they said, we can wait a couple hours. So Chris got on the road. I actually have a cousin who is a little closer and she hit the road too, just in case he didn't make it. And you know, they say babies born at seven, 27 weeks have a pretty good chance. So we waited for Chris. He got there in time. We went into the operating room, um, just praying for the best. And both girls were delivered in no time at all. They were born on 8-8, August 8th, around 1.30 in the afternoon. Um, Piper is baby A. And she was two pounds, 0 0.5 ounces. Charlie was baby B. And she was two pounds, 1.5 ounces. And when we were in the operating room, everybody said they were doing well for 27 weekers. Again, you got to remember, these babies are over three months premature. I mean, very, very, very early. And, you know, their, their bodily systems are not yet equipped to sustain themselves. So when I say they looked like they were doing well, doing well for their gestational age. Um, so they took the girls to the NICU while I got closed up and Chris went with them to the NICU and then they took me back to recovery. And before they brought me up to my room from the recovery room, they brought me to the NICU in my bed, like rolled me in there in the, on the gurney. And when we got to the NICU, they were not doing well. Um, they were really not doing well. And there was, uh, two very large teams. They were in the same room. The girls were in the same room and there were two very large teams basically working to save their lives. Uh, and I didn't expect that. And was also additionally tough because of what we went through when we lost our daughter two years ago and being in the room with a ton of people while they tried to save her lives. And I, I just, I knew they were early, but I had gone into this with confidence that they would be okay. And so to have doctors tell us like it didn't look like either girl was going to make it, I just was not prepared for that. I, I don't know that you ever could be, but I, I definitely was not. And um, we stayed in there as long as we could. And I was just 
sobbing and praying and it was tough. And then we needed to leave because they had to do some sterile procedures. Uh, again, hoping to save their lives and the doctors let us know like that it really didn't look good. So that was a tough, tough, long night. Meanwhile, I'm up in my room not knowing what was going on and, you know, trying to pump so that I could initiate milk for whenever they would need it, God willing. So those first couple of days were intense and terrifying and both girls were on the maximum amount of support possible. Um, the details don't even matter necessarily, but um, all of their organ systems not only needed support, but needed the maximum amount of support that was possible to give to them. And um, it was intense. Now, since then, I'm recording this, I guess, on the 20th. I don't think it will air for a few more days, but um, where we are as of now, uh, the 20th of August, they are doing better than they were the day they were born and the day after. They have weaned some of their support. Like Both girls have come off the ventilator and are both on CPAP. Um, they, they've come a long way, um, but they still have a very, very long way to go. We, so because of the type of pregnancy that this was, I was getting my care in Boston. And like I said, we live a couple hours away from there. So we have relocated temporarily for a few months to Boston so that we can be closer to them. And Roman is with us. And that's a big adjustment because we're, you know, in a small apartment. And um, there's just a lot that is a very different kind of adjustment. But um, we have since been able to hold them. Uh, both of us have held each of them individually, and I've held both of them at the same time. And uh, they're making slow progress, but they, God willing, best case scenario, they will be in the NICU for months. Um, typically, they say that babies go home around their due date. Now, remember, we were planning to deliver them early. We were planning to deliver them a month early, 36 weeks, which would have been um, early October. So God willing, if they're able to clear all the hurdles between now and then, we would be looking at going home sometime probably in late November. Um, that's a little past their due date, but um, we've been told to expect that it could be several weeks or a month after their due date. Again, that's kind of like best case scenario they they have a lot of a lot of hurdles but they are beautiful and they are strong and they are in the best possible place for care and i will also i mean i would just be like out of my mind to not say i mean i i mentioned that i think it was totally a god thing that i went in on the second because i wasn't concerned i mean that was a, that's just not my personality at all to to go in without concern and God has shown up in so many other ways, like big ways and also small ways in people who have been part of this journey with us in the way that our family, especially my mom and Chris's parents and my sister, I mean, 
like literally 24 seven, um, doing whatever we need. And then the, the turnabout that the girls did, uh, they weren't responding to any kind of life-saving measures, um, a few hours after they were born and then suddenly they were, um, so I don't want to give the impression that like everybody's great and we're out of the woods because that's not the situation, but we are encouraged by the way that they've responded to treatment in the past week or so. And we also believe, I believe that God is moving for these girls, that, that they are meant to be here and be here for a long time. Um, I know people, like I posted an update before they were born and people have been messaging me like, can we get an update? Can we get an update? Thank you for your patience. Um, Things just got crazy and I didn't feel equipped to share. And I'll also say this, when I did post an update before they were born, one of the things that I said uh, and I want to elaborate on it a little bit here. One of the things that I said was, please refrain from sharing like your stories and experiences. And I don't say that to be cold. And I don't say that because I don't care. I say that because everybody has a capacity, right? Everybody has an emotional capacity where like I, I can take this, but I can't take that. And the other thing is every situation is so different. So if somebody messages me and said, like, my twins were born at 27 weeks and they were fine. Cool. That has nothing to do with me and my situation and my girls. And even though I put that caveat on the last update that I gave before the twins were born, somebody and like, you know, I'm glad that I can't have words with this person shared like, oh, that happened to somebody I know. And one of the twins didn't make it, but the other one did not helpful at all. And I know that there's a humanness of wanting to relate by sharing similar experiences. I get it. I've, I've felt that way myself. But at the same time, sometimes it's not relevant. And one thing that I learned after our daughter died a couple years ago was the need to if, if you know somebody who's going through something difficult, you don't need to make assumptions, right? You can ask them, is it helpful for me to share a situation that I went through? Or if you ever want to talk, I've gone through something similar and I'd love to share that with you. You don't have to assume that because I say it's not helpful, that nobody thinks it's helpful, but I do think that it's valuable to ask in the same way that like some people love getting flowers. I think flowers are a waste of money and one more thing to take care of. <laughs> you know, somebody um, in our families sent flowers, which is amazing. But after when he messaged me for for where we were, I said like no flowers because the room is too small and now we're in this small apartment, you know, so like, of course, don't assume that because I think flowers are dumb, that everybody thinks flowers are dumb, but ask like, would you, would you like to get some flowers or is there something else, you know? Uh, so I'm not sharing that example because I want you to send flowers or something else. It's not that at all. I don't want you to send anything. I'm sharing it because I want you to understand why I'm again asking please don't share your like, my baby was born at 25 weeks or 31 weeks and they're great. 
for me right now, it's not helpful. And unfortunately, some people have felt it appropriate to send me stories of loss that I just don't want to, it's like a boundary thing. I want, I want to share with you what is going on. And I also want to do that in a way that reflects healthy boundaries for me. So I know that many of you have had children premature and have had NICU stays before or know people who have. And I, I feel for you. And I also say from the standpoint of protecting my emotional bandwidth, this is not the time for me to hear those things. And I wonder about people who hear me say that and still share it. Like, you know, we could go into that in a whole other episode. Um, but I just want, I wanted to add a little context to that. I know it can sound cold, like, hey, don't share that stuff. And I don't mean it in a cold way at all. I mean it in a, I am at a max level of emotional capacity and I don't feel like that's a healthy thing for me to hear at this point in time and if that changes I will definitely let you know so where things kind of are right now is we as I said relocated to be close to the hospital we're walking distance even being shortly out from a c-section we're walking like seven to ten miles a day uh city living you know city living getting to the hospital back and forth there's not a parking situation that's uh ideal here right now but we're working on that and um we've had a lot of help like i said from from our moms especially and my sister coming to hang out with roman for a few hours while Chris and I go hang out with the girls and um, there's just a lot of back and forth. I, as they get bigger, they will have a routine and a schedule and that will allow me to figure out some work stuff to the extent that I can, to the extent that I want to, and that will always be changing too. Uh, based on what's going on with them. Right now, they're not on much of a schedule. It's very much day by day. Um, but I had gotten far enough out ahead of the Monday episodes of the podcast. I was in the process of trying to get ahead for when the twins were born, which I thought was going to be much further down the road. Um, and so the Monday episodes are good for a while. But there are other things that I want to do business-wise. And I also... Uh, know that there will come a time when I feel really compelled to do that because it's a healthy balance thing. Like I, I don't want 24-7 to be perseverating about, you know, what's going on with the twins when right now there's just a lot that I can't do. They're, what they need right now is a lot of quiet and a lot of rest and they don't need me there all the time. That's not healthy for them and their growth right now and their healing. Um, and it's probably not healthy for me either. So we are there with them every single day, uh, but I can't be there 24 seven. It's not good for anybody for that to be the case. Plus we've got Roman. Um, so I'll be figuring out that stuff as we go. And I just wanted to provide that update and thank you guys for your prayers and ask for you to keep them coming for, for Charlie and for Piper. And um, if you have questions, let me know. 
and I appreciate you respecting that it's just not the time for me to hear your premature baby stories, your twin to twin transfusion stories, your placental abruption stories, your any of that. Um, I, I respect your path and I do care, but uh, thank you for just honoring my, my self-protective boundary right now. So we will keep you posted. Um, I'm going to, if it's not up already, I'm going to put some pictures up on Facebook and Instagram so you can check there to see the girls. Like I said, they're gorgeous and they're tiny and they've got a lot going on right now, but we are just believing that they are here for long lives on this earth and that that is, that is happening, that is happening and that eventually months from now we will bring them home with us healthy and strong and uh, we look forward to that day. Talk to you guys soon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.